Hey, Startup Nation, I am so glad you came back to join us for another edition of The Startup Life. You clearly are ready to get the tools you need to get ahead of the competition. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating while you're here. Now, if you're looking for an ad-free experience, go ahead and sign up for our Patreon page, where you will get exclusive content and access to our digital products that we're beginning to launch. The link is there in the show notes. And if you want to ask questions directly to some of our guests, follow the Startup Life Podcast Club on Clubhouse as some of our conversations will start to happen. Happen there. But back to the task at hand. Are you ready to level up? Of course you are. Get ready as the Startup Life Podcast begins now. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is the Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we hear stories all the time about, you know, startup founders, billionaire founders, unicorn founders and stuff like that. But what if I told you our guest today knows not just the stories, but the data that backs up those stories? Well, like I said, we have a fantastic guest for you today, uh, Startup Nation. He is a partner at Data Collective, a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley with over two billion under uh, under management and investments in more than $10 billion startups. And he's also the author of Super Founders, what data reveals about billion dollar startups. He is Ali Tamaset. Ali, how's it going? Good, sir. All good. Can't complain. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm good. I can't complain, brother. I'm living a dream, living a dream. Can't complain. So I really appreciate your time today uh, for coming on the startup life. You know, you wrote this amazing book, uh, and Startup Nation, if you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, that book is available uh, today. But before I kind of start into the book, man, you know, you have a lot of valuable information in there. Are you just like a, you know, because you have like a very large data set when it comes to this book. Are you just a data person or was it the 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 content from, that you wrote in your book so fascinating that it kind of made you go into the data a little bit more? Kind of talk about that a little bit. For sure. No, I am a data person. I'm a data nerd. I okay. was a researcher before. I was, you know, an academic before kind of becoming an entrepreneur and jumping on the venture capital side of the, you know, uh, the dark side of, of the startup <laughs> ecosystem, as, as they say. Gotcha. But yeah, I was, you know, I was a researcher. I was, you know, I collected data. I published papers, went on conferences, talked in journals. So I was that person and kind of continued that that thinking and you know when when i was a founder um and when i was a vc i kept hearing about you know all these things that people say about you know what makes for a successful entrepreneur what makes for a successful uh company right and i realized people are talking without any backing people Mm. are just talking from their experiences and as in my the academic in me was like how can you claim that without having any references so it, it, it definitely bothered me just hearing all these things about, you know, um, you need to be of this certain age, you need to be technical, you need to be, you know, you need to have one technical and you need to have one business savvy. And there's all these stories that, you know, the Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, right. and, you know, the, the two co-founder duo, there's all these things and we've seen stories and it's partly on media because, mm. you know, media thinks this is the story or, you know, the famous one, uh, you need to be solving a personal problem. And, you know, when media interviews, they try to go deep and say, hey, you were when you were, you know, 12 years old, you had this problem of, you know, 
You couldn't store things in your closet, and that's why you started a cloud storage company. Like, what the hell? <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, don't just, like, try to connect things um, together. So, yeah, I started um, collecting this data of, you know, it's 30,000 data points on all the billion-dollar companies that's ever started, not ever, in the past 15 years right. in the U.S. And I also collected the same data on every startup that's been founded in the U.S. and raised a little bit of funding to have a baseline. So I compared, you know, what these billion-dollar startups look like and what these kind of random average startup look like and how they compared and contrasted. And so it, it, the data, like this data doesn't exist. You can't just Google or find this, you know, data somewhere or download it or buy it or even ask somebody to do it or automate it. It, it had to be done manually. There's a lot of judgment uh, that goes into it. There's a lot of, you know, cold emailing and asking people and you know, doing research. So it took me four years to collect these 30,000 data points, kind of all my weekends and evenings. Uh, it was a massive data collection project. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I can definitely see that. And that's why, you know, I wanted to bring you on the show and Startup Nation. Once again, that book is Super Founders, which is why, you know, you don't ha- you like uh, Ali said, you don't you can't go and just Google this stuff. All this stuff has been uh, 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 jam packed in this wonderful uh, book that he wrote. And uh, the reason I wanted to bring you on, because like we hear those stories in the media and stuff like that. And a lot of times those stories can be a bit intimidating and, and, and even lead to people not even starting uh, with their idea and, and stuff like that. And you tackle a lot of those, uh, you know, those kind of notions and stuff like that. One of those I want to talk about now is, you know, the myths about, you know, a uh, founder's education, if you will. You have a, a, a piece in the book that says, quote, more CEOs hold advanced degrees than drop out of a bachelor's program, but neither status increases or decreases chance chances of success here because we hear those stories all the time like you know you you know they uh they dropped out of you know uh the their sophomore year of of you know mit or something like that kind of talk about the education piece if you don't mind ali for sure i think you know even today even in 2021 Mm -hmm. you you go and look in TechCrunch and stuff and many of these titles of these articles start with you know this university dropout founders right blah is starting this company and like you know why does it why does it matter right? right why do you put that in the title talk about what the company is doing um and you know it's partly because of you know zuckerberg and bill gates there 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 is definitely these you know tech um super young 19 year old you know harvard dropouts right and they've been turned into movies and they've been kind of turned into the pop culture right but when you look into the data that's less than three percent of all billion-dollar startups that gets founded, those kind of dropouts, you know, super good university, you know, or Harvard dropouts, Stanford right. dropouts, that's less than 3%. Everything else is, I wouldn't say normal people, they're super accomplished people, but it doesn't follow that stereotype. There we have, you know, people with MBAs. There's a lot of thing that goes behind, you know, don't invest in MBAs. MBAs are just like crunching numbers. They don't know how to run a company. Terrence right. have more than 22% of all billion dollar startups are started by MBAs. Uh, or people say, don't invest in PhDs. PhDs have focused on one thing in their life. They don't know anything about management. They don't know anything about, you know, how to start a company. Turns out there's more PhDs than dropouts. Hmm. Um, same thing for, you know, lawyers. Don't invest in lawyers because blah, blah. Don't invest in doctors because blah, blah, blah. Or do invest in any of these cases. So basically what the data showed was, 
you know, there's all these, you know, cases of, you know, what percentage were PhDs, what percentage were lawyers, what percentage were just bachelors, what percentages were dropouts, what percentages were like high school people. There's all these people. When, but when you can compare that with those kind of random group of startups that also get funded and founded and funded, there's no difference. So if you are a PhD, you're not less or more likely. If you're a dropout, you're not less or more likely. If you're a lawyer, you're not less or more likely. Right. Comparing this with the general population, obviously these people are more educated, right? right? You know, obviously these people have more advanced degrees. Obviously they've gone to better schools. Mm-hmm. That That's all true. But when you compare people who get funding with people who become billion-dollar company founders, it seems like education alone or what you studied or what level of education you had, that doesn't change your chance. Right. Right. And you, you definitely drive that point home as well. And, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, I kind of want to transition to this next point, because, you know, again, it's not like you're debunking myths or whatever, but kind of like definitely challenging uh, the quote unquote what we think may be conventional wisdom when we hear these stories uh, like that, because it always seems like, you know, we have we, we the story goes, you know, idea, video montage and then success. Right. But there's a lot that happens within that quote unquote uh, uh, video montage, if you will. And one of those you kind of talk about that book, uh, talk about in your book uh, is pivoting. I want to read something here really quickly as well. Quote, pivots are extremely common in the startup community, uh, generally welcomes them. Many of the companies that have eventually seen billion dollar valuation started with a completely different idea, end quote. And so a lot of times we think that like, you know, people are just like, you know, they were just stubborn about this this idea and they just kind of trudged forward. But, you know, you talk about here that pivots uh, uh, happen very often. Can you talk about that a little bit more, Ali? For sure. So I think that this is in the chapter that I'm talking about the origin idea. Right. And this is this is the other myth uh, that people think, you know, you need to be solving your own personal problem. And that's cool. And it seems fine and seems fair. And it's actually it's good if you if you have a personal problem to solve. But that might be the reason we see so many, you know, delivery apps or, you know, uh, parking apps and these kind of stuff. And there's so many massive trillion dollar problems in the world that gets mm. unsolved because it's not anyone's personal problem. Right. Anywhere from climate change to agriculture to new material to chemicals, everything like that. Um, so in that chapter, I talk about, you know, what doesn't get talked about is many of these billion dollar founders, they actually spent a year in some cases, two years, kind of just changing that idea, listening to the market, talking right. to advisors, talking to people, starting from an assumption and invalidating that assumption, moving on to the next idea, moving on to the next idea. And it's it's that reception to hear the feedback from the market and be passionate about what you're doing and you know not be emotionally attached to a specific idea because, you know, what you think it is um so yeah basically these stories of how they how these founders of billion dollar startups went through you know changes of ideas and how many of these companies were not what we ended up looking at is fascinating um brex for example it's a you know financial technology company they they built you know credit cards for startups right it was it was a vr thing like they applied to y combinator these two founders to build like a vr virtual reality headset kind of company and you know midway they thought of like we don't know what we're doing nobody's kind of we're not making any progress let's do something else right and they built bricks and that's a billion dollar company youtube 
you know, do you, do you know what YouTube was early on? It's, it's kind of funny. What's that? These founders thought uh, video is coming up. Video is super interesting. Let's build something for dating so people can record themselves and what they want to do and put it on like as a video. Mm. And, you know, people didn't weren't comfortable back in, you know, uh, th- that time to who to share videos about their personally kind of pitching themselves. So they put like cat videos and videos from their travels and stuff. And that kind of, you know, the founder said, okay, maybe that's, that's fair. Let, let people do whatever they want to. Right. And that thing became YouTube. Um, there, there's so many of these things, you know, Shopify where that started, you know, a, a bunch of other startups, they've all been kind of uh, gone through pivots, PayPal. There, there's so many, you know, famous uh, stories and they're not even, you know, pivots, small pivots. Some of them are massive pivots. Um, let me think about that. Like, um, yeah, even like PayPal, that was that was a very different thing. That was like a mobile emulator thing for security. And that thing became, you know, mobile payments and, uh, you know, peer-to-peer payments and PayPal. Right. Right. Now, now, now that, that pivot part is so important. I wanted to talk about that because again, like I said, we see too many times where people just think you have to just be bullheaded uh, about your idea and just kind of push it forward. And sometimes like, you know, uh, you have to listen and you talked about this earlier and I appreciate that where you talked about, uh, you know, listening to, you know, uh, you know, having your assumption and then listening to the marketplace, listening to mentors, startup nation, listening to uh, people who may not even necessarily do what you do, but have an idea of what you're uh, trying to do. Uh, for sure. I want to go back to something you was talking about earlier, as far as like people being in you know, accelerators and, and Y Combinator and stuff like that. In your book, you talk about how, like, I think you said less than 15 percent go through an accelerator program. And a lot of times we think that, like, you know, that's kind of the, the road to success. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, there, there's all these investors and there's all these entrepreneurs um, who think, you know, that, that the path is, you know, an accelerator program or multiple accelerator programs, and then, you know, you hit it big. Um, and it's not that it's not true, mm-hmm. but that's a small part of the reality. Right. So, yes, you, it, it, it helps you. You know, if, if you get into Y Combinator, it actually makes you more likely right. uh, to raise funding. It does make you more likely to become a billion-dollar company. But less than 15% of all billion dollar startups ever have gone through Y Combinator or any other accelerator program for that. And in many cases, these were the, the reason is these are like second time founders. They've sold companies before. They have a like super strong and they don't need accelerator programs. They don't need incubator programs. They already know what they do. They know that they have their connections. So yes, if, if you are a first time entrepreneur and if you, if that helps you, Right. It's it's a good start. And going through these programs is, is good. Um, but just, you know, keep that in mind that that's that's a very small part of the reality. And there's so many other people who build billion dollar startups that don't go through any of these programs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I believe you talked about Yeti, uh, the, uh, the 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 chiller company, like, you know, the the uh, I can't even think what they're called now, but like you put drinks in and stuff like that. Right. You talked about that uh, in your book. But, you know, also off the the beaten path of a little bit uh, when it comes to whether it be accelerator or incubator is that like, you know, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago. Right. And he was saying like, he has a, a tech idea and stuff like this. Like I got to move to San Francisco. I got to move to San Francisco. Got to get this to the Valley. Right. And I was telling him like, you know, look, man, like I get it. I get why you want to be there. That's why a lot of success happens, but man, like all over the country, man, like these, 
these, you know, startup communities and 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 for, you know, for funding and ideas and, and even accelerators are popping up all over the country, man. And you talk about that in your book uh, as well. I want to read this quote really quickly. Uh, states like Florida, Texas, Washington and Utah were also uh, home to several billion dollar companies each epic you talk about epic in north carolina chewy in florida qualtrics and uh, uh qualtrics in uh utah especially utah i've been fascinated with utah uh the startup uh community for a while now but kind of talk about those other kind of off off silicon valley places where people are finding success uh ali for sure and i have an interview so one one interesting thing about this book is each chapter has an interview sure and when i talk about this data there's an interview so there is. I have an interview with Rachel Carlson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Guild Education, that company is in Denver. What is interesting, and that, that's you know a multi-billion-dollar company. What they do is they sell uh, these kind of educational training and educational courses and upskilling to you know employers, right? Like employers of Starbucks and these kind of companies. Um, what's interesting is she she wasn't a Stanford MBA. She she was living in Silicon Valley. And her co-founder was living in Silicon Valley. They, you know, and the company was in Silicon Valley for the first, I think, year and a half. And then they made this decision to move out mm. and to go to Denver and right. start a company there. And the the story and the reason why is fascinating. So they they need a bunch of, um, you know, they, so they have the tech team and they have the engineers, but they also need operational people who would kind of work with these students. Right. Uh, going. So every many startups have this kind of service layer that there are people who do do the job. If, if it's like Stitch Fix, there's like you know um, the stylists. If there's Uber, there's drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this company and. Her vision was, I don't want to separate the engineering team and like the finance team from these people who are actually doing the work. I want everybody to be in the same place. And we can afford to do that in San Francisco, uh, but we can afford to do that in Denver. So in order for everyone to be together in one office um, and for everyone to understand what the problem is the other teams are facing, let's start the company somewhere that everybody can afford a home, everybody can afford a living. Right. and that's that's why they moved to Denver. It turned out to be a you know good decision for them. Um, so in in the book, I talk about you know you don't, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley, and there's you know I think about half half of these billion dollar companies are built outside um, Silicon Valley and other kind of tech hubs in New York and Boston. And many of these stereotypes about what company gets built where is also not necessarily correct. So you would think look, Boston is biotech. There's actually a bunch of, you know, software uh, unicorn startups there. Or you would think, you know, New York, that would be like fintech. But actually, there's there's a bunch of software infrastructure companies or, you know, healthcare companies uh, built in uh, New York. There's actually more software infrastructure unicorns than fintech unicorns mm. in, in New York City. So a bunch of these stereotypes. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't come to Silicon Valley. I would probably still suggest that. And I know it's, you know, it's a distributed world and right. everybody can, can work from anywhere. So it's it's a very evolving situation. So I wouldn't say don't come if if this is the place you think you want to live and this is the best place you have connections, comfort. But you know the data, the, the book and the data is talking about. There's all these you know billion dollar companies that gets built in other places too. For sure, for sure. No, I, I definitely appreciate that and I appreciate the nuance 
uh, in, in that response as well. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Ali Thomasab, the author of Super Founders, What Data Reveals About Billion Dollar Startups. And if you want to get this book, Startup Nation, uh, that book, that uh, link is there in the show notes if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. And if you're listening on radio, you can just, uh, you know, whatever you get your your favorite books from uh, as you uh, on your path of entrepreneurship, for sure. I want to ask you uh, something really quick, Ali, because in the book, you talk about, you know, uh, uh, bootstrapping versus VC backing versus self-financing. I guess I'm curious, you know, from uh, your doctrine, your standpoint, the things that you've seen uh, in, in the VC world, what questions do I need to ask myself if I'm that startup founder? If I need to to like, you know, which route should I go? Should I go to VC route? Should I go to bootstrapping back or should I just self-finance this thing? Kind of talk about that a little bit. For sure. I mean, self-finance, if, if, if anybody can self-finance and there's there's very few people who have the financial backing to be able to self-finance, then, you know, pr- probably the right way to do it um, or, or a portion of their wealth that they can put put in this startup. Let's talk about bootstrapping versus venture capital. Sure. I think a part of that is rooted in your vision and how big you think this company go. I think in the book, I talk about this, you know, for for thousands, for years, for hundreds of years. Companies got financing from banks. They did not sell equity. They raised debt. And venture capital, the whole business of venture capital is 50-year-old. It's very, very recent in the whole business of starting companies and starting businesses. And what happened was technology companies got started. There were semiconductor companies, and banks just didn't understand. You know, It used to be that you build a railway. And the bank would understand, okay, if I invest a million dollars here, you will start this rail system, you will charge customers this much, and I will get the money back. Mm-hmm. Um, but these technology companies kind of started growing up, and the banks didn't understand them. And that's where kind of venture capital kind of got created. There was a lot of push from, um, you know, the Cold War and the government, a lot of financing that went through that, a lot of good programs, governmental programs that went through starting the venture capital concept. Um, but that's kind of venture capital is reserved for venture. So if mm. if what you're doing, if the type of business that you're doing is venturing out for something that's super, super risky, and you would not be able to do it without venture, and you're putting yourself at the place that, okay, this may work, you know, one in a hundred times, 1% chance, 2% chance, and the other 98%, it will lose. If, you, if you're prepared for that, you know, I may build a $5 billion company, and that's like a 1% chance, and this specific problem has that much, you know, uh, potential, then, you know, venture capital is around. For a lot of people, they have amazing ideas, and that might be a $20 million a year revenue company. And that's amazing. If you own 100% of that business and you have a 60% chance of actually getting there, that's probably a lot better than, you know, a 1% chance of a $1 billion company that you will own 10% of uh, because, you know, VCs take the rest. So you... I think a lot more founders should be more intentional about, you know, what type mm. of business do I want to start? Do I want to own 100% of this thing? And do I want to have a 50% chance? Venture capital is reserved for super risky. I want to, you know, go big or go home, go big or like literally fail, lose all my savings, you know, lose five years of my life. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, I may get rewarded with a, you know, $100 million, $500 million, billion dollar outcome. Right. Right. For sure. 
For sure. And it turns out more than 90% of these billion dollar companies are venture backed. And, you know, that's not, that's not to say venture capital is good. It's, it's just, these are different types of companies. And right. there's, you know, probably 10,000 more companies that are, you know, worth a hundred million dollars and they're non-venture backed and they're you know, super awesome for the founder and their founders are more wealthy. For sure. You know, I, I want to ask a, a follow up question to that because we recently had uh, Jay Byrne Murphy on the show. He, he's an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur who uh, built uh, quite a few businesses in Europe and stuff like that. And we asked him about, you know, uh, you know, uh, funding for businesses, venture backing and stuff like that. And we asked him with the caveat of covid and the perception of maybe it's not as much money out there and stuff like that. And he says that absolutely uh, is uh, like there's definitely a lot of different funding f- uh, opportunities uh, for venture back or whatever the case may be. What's your perspective on that? Is is, is there money just out there flowing for good ideas still, even during a pandemic? Yeah. So um, I think in the, in, in the book, I have I have this chapter about recessions and kind mm-hmm. of the low times in the startup community that I talk. The data shows the activity kind of goes down by about 25 to 30 percent when something like a you know uh 2000 or 2008 happens right valuations for later stage companies take a hit take a much bigger hit maybe a more closer to 45 to 50 percent so basically the valuation gets dropped by half um when when it's like a 2000 or 2008 and you you would see that with facebook you know facebook had raised like super late stage series d or something like that at, at a had an $8 billion valuation or $5 billion valuation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a couple of years, they had to raise the next round and they had grown so, so much bigger. But it was the, you know, it was a financial crisis. So they had to take, you know, a haircut. And it, it's funny, but they, they raised on a, you know, $10 billion valuation, which is great, but it wasn't where they wanted to be. So this is the kind of companies that get a cut that the later stage companies get, get more hit. The earlier stages companies get a little bit less hit. Um, during this pandemic, um, during those first couple months, as people were just in a shock, this kind of idea of investing from remote or from Zoom or video calls weren't there. So for about three months, there was like a halt and activity went down. But then uh, you actually saw it coming back up. And I think in the past six months, what I'm seeing is there's there's a lot more activity. I don't have a specific data on that, but right. it just feels like there, there's more money. There's more startups, there's more good quality people, and there's more funding. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is there's there's been some people who had the time, they, they were at home, and they could think about, okay, maybe actually right now is the time for me to quit my job and go and start that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's more founders, there's more quality founders starting companies because they got the chance to think and kind of relax and finally get it done. And hit the start. And there's more money. I mean, there's there's a lot more money in venture capital and in the hands of investors today than it was last year and five years ago and definitely 10 years ago. There's like order of magnitude, different levels of money. And part of it was because capital is cheap now because of the interest rates. And, you know, venture capital is risky, but the, the reward that you can get is a lot more. So there's more money in the hands of investors and there's more quality founders. So basically, yes, the market is more crazy. There's more founders. There's higher valuations as well. 
I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that, because I, I, what, what I don't want to have happen is people kind of like, you know, kind of pump the brakes a little bit just because they feel like uh, the perception is not necessarily what the reality is. So I, I definitely uh, appreciate that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're actually wrapping up uh, with Ali Tomaseb, uh, the author of give me just a second. Super founders, what data reveals about billion dollar startups. And if you want to get that book startup nation, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast and if you're listening to radio, just wherever you get your favorite uh, books. So I want to ask you this, because one of the things you talk about often is being a tinkerer. Why is that important for the entrepreneur, uh, Ali? Uh, Sorry, being a what? A tinkerer, like people who just kind of tinker around with stuff, right? Right, right, right. Yes. So that, that's the that's the concept of the kind of super founder. And the idea is um, your hustle and your ability to start companies and get them to finish line is more important than a shiny resume. So when I look into investing, I look into people who have started companies before and got them to summer. It doesn't need to be a massive success. If you if you have found, you know, a billion dollar company before you you know, probably don't need money for your next company, but, you know, smaller successes, smaller outcomes, you know, a project that you got to a certain scale. And when you look into these founders of billion dollar startups, you definitely see that pattern that these people, you know, started a company and they sold it for $12 million before. And before that, they started a company and that failed. And before that, they had started, you know, a nonprofit project while in college. And before that, they had started this kind of, you know, online business selling, you know, cards or gift cards or something like that. Mm-hmm. These are the people who think of it ideas, start clubs, start projects, start selling things online, start companies, start projects. And basically, the, the, the gist of the book is like everything, practice makes perfect. Right. And that applies to entrepreneurship as well. A lot of people think these are super genius people who got lucky, came up with a brilliant idea. You know, that happened next year. They were they were a billionaire. And that's that's basically not it. That's that doesn't happen. Even even people who we think are first time entrepreneurs, even the Mark Zuckerberg, who, you know, founded Facebook at 19. You know, he started this app who looked like Spotify back in, I think, 1999 when he was 17 years old. And, you know, Microsoft wanted to buy that. And you go before that or you go after that, what the projects he started in college. So even people who are like super young or first time entrepreneurs, you see that they've done these things before. You see that right. they've thinkered, they've started companies, they've started projects. And, you know, eventually they learn and they see the progress and they see that kind of flywheel rotate once and they can kind of turn it more and more and finally get to those kind of billion dollar outcomes for sure for sure no i appreciate you sharing that because you know and i'm kind of reminded of uh a quote by uh mark benioff i'm pretty i'm gonna screw it up but it, it was some along the lines of like i'm not necessarily uh the smartest person in my company that's why i hired 20 nbas and so i'm glad you said the part about like people think that like you know these people like super smart people, not that they're not smart at all, but like they're like, you know, uh, uh, you know, you got a 200 IQ or something like that. You know what I mean? Or they got lucky and stuff like that. And that a lot of people that are out here making uh, those moves in entrepreneurship are definitely just people who are just kind of willing to uh, bet on themselves and stuff like that. But also with a little little bit of smarts as well about uh, particular things. So I appreciate you sharing that. Ali, I want to ask you one last question before I let you go again. I appreciate the time you've uh 
share with us today on the show. And once again, started to mention that book is Super Founders, What Data Reveals About Billion Dollar uh, Startups. It f- features interviews from firsthand accounts and stories about Tony Fidel, founder of Nest, uh, you know, P- Peter Thiel and stuff like that, Eric Wan of Zoom, stuff like that, and many others. So make sure you add that to your entrepreneurial toolkit. So Ali, I just want to ask you this, man, because look, you know, you're uh, in the VC world and stuff like that. And I think a lot of times startup founders think that the only value that a, a, a venture uh, capitalist has is just the the check, the checkbook, right? But a venture capitalist has so much more value than just a checkbook, like uh, a network, advice, stuff like that. Kind of share that part of the VC world, if you don't mind, Ali. For sure. Um, I think things are changing. And okay. Okay. They're they're towards what you're saying. Sure. So it it might have been just a check, you know, back in the day. Right. But now there's so much more money, and there's so many more VCs that there is competition. Fair enough. VCs. And it's good to have competition. So when there's competition, you need to layer in services. So we have talent partners who help find talent. We have PR people who help you get PR, and you know, obviously, we have the network. I personally believe the biggest value add a venture capitalist has is their network. Mm. They've done it for a longer time. They've done it across companies. They've seen people. They have it's it's our job to network with super successful people, people who you can sell to, people who can join your board, who people who you can hire. That's our job. So if you select for the right venture capitalist, other than the check, you will get access to their network. And basically I think you are you should be checking for the network and you should be receiving money, accepting money from people who would give you access to the largest. And it's not just largest, someone who has, you know, 20,000 connections on LinkedIn. That doesn't matter. If you have 50 super awesome people in your Rolodex that you can come and bring to the table, that's valuable. Right. And that's what the best VCs do. For sure. For sure. Now, 50 people in a Rolodex that, you know, you can do something with an extremely valuable Startup Nation. So I appreciate you saying that, Ali. Once again, Startup Nation, that's our time with Ali Tamasev, the author of Super Founders, What Data Reveals About Billion Dollar Startups. Thank you so much, Ali. For sure. Thank you. I was glad to be here. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on a show, send us a message. Our contact information is there in the show notes, or feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Go ahead and follow us while you're at it. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and be sure to hit us with that five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. Be sure to check out the show's website and its startup blog, where either I or some of the world's best business minds share content that will give you the edge you need in your journey whether that's the path of entrepreneurship or climbing the corporate ladder subscribe to our patreon to listen to ad-free episodes exclusive content and digital products that we are beginning to offer and if you want to be part of the conversation join the startup life podcast on clubhouse to have the ability to talk directly to some of our guests and as always startup nation if you have an idea be about that life the startup life